Um, we have kind of a special treat for you today, if you hadn't kind of figured it out. Uh, things are just, uh, we, we have a great illustration for the message today, but this is not just an illustration, this is for real. So I hope you enjoy. Don? Uh, just thank you all for coming here. On behalf of John and Karen, I'd like to welcome you all to this very special day in their lives. Uh, they got married a number of years ago. I had the privilege of marrying them, um, but they were both very different people, and uh, you'll hear more about that as it time comes on. And uh, as they've grown more in love with Jesus, they've grown more in love with each other, and they wanted to recommit their lives to each other and have a rededication um, ceremony for their marriage. And uh, what a better place to do it than sharing it with our family, because you guys know we're family, right? <laughs> and so uh, on behalf of them, I'd like to welcome you and let you know that you're more than just witnesses to this. You know, you're more than just uh, warm bodies in a seat. You uh, actually have a responsibility. The vows that they're going to share with each other uh, are vows that they're making to God and they're making to each other. But for you who are witnesses, your responsibility is to help hold them accountable to keep those vows. So if you happen to ever see them not keeping those vows, you, they, they have full permission to call you out on that, right? Yes? Okay, you're kind of hesitant on that. All right, yeah. All right. So that is, that is the purpose of you being here, being witnesses to these vows. And, and, and also, your responsibility is not just to call them out, but to daily pray for them that they would be able to keep these vows. And it wouldn't be a bad thing to be praying for your own marriage and for the marriages around you because it is something that God established and it is uh, his, uh, his thing. So, um, John, are you ready for this? All right. So, um, John, will you love this woman to be your wedded wife or will you have this woman to be your wedded wife to live together after God's ordinance in the holiest state of matrimony? We love her, comfort her, honor and keep her in sickness and in health, staying faithful only to her so long as you both shall live. I do. All right, you heard that, and there's no shotguns around. We're good, right? All right, Karen, will you have this man to be your wedded husband, to live together after God's ordinance in the holy state of matrimony? Will you love him, comfort him, honor and keep him in sickness and in health, staying faithful only to him so long as you both shall live? I will. Terry, who gives this woman to be married to this man? I do. Okay. <laughs> then hand her off. <laughs> All right. Will the couple uh, join hands facing each other and repeat after me? Okay. And, and look at her because I'm already married. All right. <laughs> You're saying these vows to her. There we go. All right. I, John. I, John. Take you, Karen. Take you, Karen. To be my wedded wife. Be my wedded wife. To have and to hold. To have and to hold. From this day forward. From this day forward. For better or for worse. For better or for worse. For richer or for poorer. For richer or for, for poorer. In sickness and in health. In sickness and in health. To love and to cherish. To love and to cherish. Till death do us part. Till death do us part. I pledge to you my love. I pledge to you my love. I, Karen. I, Karen. Take you, John. Take you, John. To be my wedded husband. To be my wedded to have and to hold. To have and to hold. From this day forward. From this day forward. For better or for worse. For better or for worse. For richer or for poorer. For richer or for poorer. In sickness and in health. In sickness and in health. To love and to cherish. To love and to cherish. And until death do us part. And until death do us part. I pledge to you my love. I pledge to you my love. All right. So, um, John, you have a ring for Karen, a token of your love. And uh, you want to show me which one that might be right there? I think I can guess, but 
All right, I thought it was the smaller one. Yeah, all right. Um, I, I, this was something that was shared at my wedding um, almost 30 years ago, right, honey? Almost. Um, and uh, and uh, it, was, it was something that I've had the privilege of sharing at every wedding I've been a part of because I think it's important, not only for the couple that's getting married, but for everyone here. And um, I like to talk about this ring. It's made out of a precious metal. Right, Miss Carol? It's made out of a precious metal. I had to wake you up. I saw you sleeping right there. But, and uh, so it, 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 when this precious metal, um, it, it hadn't always been this beautiful. When it was in the ground, it was actually more dirt and more impurities than beautiful precious metal. But what had to happen is it had to be put through intense pressure and intense heat. And the purpose of it wasn't to destroy it, but it was to make it more beautiful. So having been married, now how long have you all been married? Five and a half years. Would you testify that in that five and a half years, there's been some intense pressure and intense heat in your relationship? Okay. All right. And by the way, how many of you who are married would testify that in a marriage relationship, there is intense pressure and intense heat? Raise your hand. Don't be afraid of the elbow on the side. All right. Yeah, it's there. But man, you know, we have to understand what it's there for is by God's design to get rid of the impurities. You know, you can put this through as much intense pressure and as much intense heat as you want, and it will not destroy this precious metal. But what it will do is continue to get rid of the impurities, making it more beautiful. But we don't always see that pressure and heat that way, do we? So what I want to encourage you to do, this is what's kept me out of trouble for a little while, is when that pressure and heat comes, I, instead of saying something that I might wish I had not said, Karen, Instead of not saying something that I wish I might have said, John, what you need to do at that point is you need to look down at that ring and know what that pressure and heat is there. It's, it's God putting opposites together. And you both needing to be spirit-filled and realizing that it's not there to destroy the marriage, but it's there to make it more beautiful. And ask God at that point to help you do what your part is in making this marriage more beautiful. It may be for you to speak up, and it may be for you to do the opposite. <laughs> it may be for you to fall into your default mode and say something, and you be in yours and listen. But whatever it is, you know it's God telling you to do that. So instead of reacting in our default mode, I want to encourage you guys to look at your ring and ask God what he wants you to do with that situation in your life. So, John, will you take this ring and place it on Karen's left hand, ring finger halfway, and repeat after me. With this ring, with this ring. I thee wed. In the name of the Father, name of the Father, and say to her, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Push it on. Beautiful. Uh, this ring, I'm assuming this one's John's, right? It's the only one left yeah. in here. All right. And uh, this this ring, uh, like most rings, it is round. Okay. And um, what I like to think about with a round ring is I like to think about God's never-ending, unconditional love, which is awful hard for us to pull off, isn't it? Um, mm -hmm. It's not in our flesh, but it is in our born-again nature to be able to love somebody who's not being lovable. And um, believe it or not, uh, Karen, look at John's face right there. There might be a day, maybe it hasn't happened in the last five and a half years, but maybe it will happen one day that he's not going to be lovable. Can you believe that? And, and do you think there's a possibility that she might not be lovable one day? Could be. Could be, yes. Okay, good answer, <laughs> In fact, it's true with all of us. We all have our moments where we are unlovable. And you know what our flesh wants to do when someone's being unlovable? You know what I'd like to do sometimes is take a video and then show them what they look like. How, how do you think that would work? <laughs> it, it's, it, don't do it. It's not a good idea. Okay? It is not a good idea. Um, but what somebody who's being unlovable needs more than anything else is what? They need love. But in the flesh, it's so hard for us to love someone who's not being lovable. And we need help with that. And so at that point, when one of you is not being lovable, I want to encourage you to look down at your ring again and pray to the Father and ask, who is the source of agape love, which we'll be talking about later today. He's the only source. Ask him, how do I love this unlovable person right now? And, and then be obedient to do whatever he asks you to do in that. And, man, you will be blown away by what God does. The world can do it all different ways, but, man, we need to realize that the heat and pressure is by God's design to make the marriage more beautiful. And it can only become more beautiful as we represent God to each other through love. So, Karen, would you 
Take that ring and place it on John's ring finger, left hand halfway, and repeat after me. With this ring, With this ring I, be I be wed in the name of the Father, the of the Father and of the Son, and, the Son and, the Holy Spirit. and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, y'all need some bacon grease? Yeah. That's my favorite essential oil, right? <laughs> All right. All right. He wants to make sure he doesn't Yeah, it, I think it's supposed to be on that hand right there. We're good. There we go. That's right. We'll get that off later. <laughs> All right. I would like to invite Sharla and Seth um, to uh, up here. And um, Karen, before they share scripture and what they have, do you have something? Do you each have something you'd like to share with each other and maybe even... With this group, I just thank you, Lord, that I've met my beautiful darling bride just yesterday. She's still as beautiful as ever, she always will be. I just thank you that we have Christian marriage and we both follow Christ and love Him more and more each day and each year. I just thank you that she's got a kind heart, she kind of likes the critters, as you all know. She's kind of partial to critters, but that's good. I just thank you and love you that she's my darling bride. She'll always be my darling bride forever. Since I was a little girl, all I wanted was a faithful man of God, just like you, Johnny. But some poor decisions and years of falling away from God led me to believe that no man like that, like you, would ever want a woman like me. The day that we met as I was overlooking the ocean, I can honestly say that I have never in my life been so broken or so lost. The night we got married, I asked you what a godly man like you saw in a hot mess like me. <laughs> you said, because I see what God sees in your heart, and soon you will too. I'm sure many days it wasn't happening soon enough but you never gave up and you trusted in God's timing. Your love makes me strive to be a better wife, woman, and child of God every single day. I finally see what you and God saw in my heart and it is because of your love that I know that I am truly the luckiest little mermaid on this earth. It was important to us to recommit ourselves, myself to my husband in this marriage because I truly am a new creation. I don't think people truly understand what that means. I am a new creation. That broken, addicted person no longer exists inside me, and I wanted to give this sweet and wonderful man a chance to marry the woman he saw inside that broken shell. It's only because of the grace that has been given to me, the love and prayer of so many of you, that we are here having this opportunity. If our marriage doesn't display the supernatural power of God, I don't know what does. Um, so Karen and John have asked me to read Romans 12 verses 9 through 16 love must be sincere hate what is evil and cling to what is good be devoted to one another in love honor one another above yourselves never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord be joyful in hope patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Hey guys, I have the, uh, the honor of being John's best man. And when I thought about what it was that I would say, these guys made it really, really, really easy on me. God's plan for marriage existed before the foundation of the universe. He knew what he wanted and he gave it to us in scripture. God created Eve as a helpmeet for Adam. And these guys embodied that. That means that they complement each other. What Adam couldn't do, Eve couldn't, vice versa. And we see the same thing with John and Karen. So the scripture I'd, I'd like to read for you guys is from Ephesians, uh, wives and husbands. It's from Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands 
as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. That's not sexist. That's, that's God's will for marriage for us. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And that's exactly what we have seen John do with Karen through all these five years. And so I have a, I have a little illustration here. stuck in here. So this illustration here is, a, is my wife told me an isosceles triangle. I was terrible at geometry. <laughs> yeah. So we have God at the top, and then we have a husband, and we have a wife. And the reason why these guys are such a, a fantastic illustration of this illustration is, and Karen let me off the hook here because I wasn't sure how to say this, when they got married the first time, Karen, Karen didn't feel as though she was being the, the wife that she should be to John. And she has worked toward that goal. And guess how she's worked toward that goal? She's moved closer to God in her relationship with God. She's moved closer to her husband. If you take the husband here and the wife here, and they move up toward God, if they're both pointing toward God, what happens? Yeah, they get closer together, and that's exactly what happened. But you've got to be careful, right? Because if you slip, if one of you falls away from God, what happens? You fall apart. You fall apart from each other. And so my, my, my prayer for you guys is that you keep on going in that direction. Does it always work that way perfectly every single day? No, of course not. It's marriage. But as long as we're both pointing toward God, as long as you're both pointing toward God, your marriage will get stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's, that's the blessing that I, that I pray for you. I love you guys. I love you too. All right, so I'd like to invite Zane to come up, Pastor Zane to come up and, and pray for, uh, uh, for the couple. And um, you just pray whatever God puts on your heart, brother, all right? I'm not going to tell you what to pray for. <laughs> Um, all right, let's pray. <clears throat> uh, Father, as Seth read that passage of Scripture, I remember how Paul said it was a mystery. Uh, that this union of marriage um, is really an illustration of Christ in the church. Uh, and so, Father, as... Romans 12 tells us to love without hypocrisy. Father, we can't do that unless we operate in our gifts. And we can only operate in our gifts in proportion to our faith. And so, Father, what I've seen in this marriage is that they're free to be who they are. John is free to be quiet and soft-spoken and Karen's free to be um, loud, if you would, Father, <laughs> and very charismatic in her nature. And so, Father, when, when a church operates where we're free to operate in our gifts, then we can truly love without hypocrisy because we don't have to act. And so, Father, they don't have to act like they're something that they're not in this marriage. They're free to be who they are. And that's what brings that love without hypocrisy together. That's what brings the true nature of who they are and why they, um, Father, why they can coexist being two very different people. And so, Father, my prayer for them and for all of us, not only in our marriages, but in your body as members of this church, that, Father, we're free to be who we are. And, uh, Father, I pray that they remain as they are this day, free to be who they are as a husband and a wife so that they can forever love each other without hypocrisy. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so what's...
getting ready to happen right now is JJ is going to come back up and get ready to play the recessional. Um, what I will do is I will allow John to kiss his wife and um, or encourage him to do that, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and I will uh, re-pronounce them, you know, introduce them to you all. And uh, what I want you to do, you know, you throw rice and you throw stuff at people when they're leaving, you know, heading out. I want you to throw shakas at them, all right? <laughs> Everybody throw shakas at them as the wedding uh, party as soon as they go. Then you guys will go and uh, we will continue with the celebration God has for us today. I'd like to say something. Else. Okay, go ahead. I just thank you for godly pastors, these three and others I've had, godly men who've monitored me and, and helped me grow in the Lord. I just thank you for all of them. Very special to me. And to us. So by the power vested in me, by the high calling of God, and the laws of this state, I repronounce you husband and wife. John, you may kiss your bride. <laughs> I'd like to reintroduce you all for the very first time, Karen, John and Karen Hoppy. beautiful Amen. and I see y'all forgot to put my little clock up there so I have no clue what time oh EJ's going to get it right now <laughs> no really I, I just want to elaborate on the scripture that was shared earlier um, uh, uh, it was out of Romans chapter 12 and, um, and and we got kind of in the middle but a text without a context is a pretext so we just take a little bit of, of scripture and we think we know what that means without looking at where it came from. We get it wrong and, and, we, and we react wrong, we do wrong. And so it was a beautiful passage of scripture that they have based on love. In fact, it was out of Romans and it's Paul's Romans version of what he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians about what love is. And so as we go back and we look at the very beginning of Romans chapter 12, Romans 12 is a turning point. In, um, in the book of Romans, the first, the first 12, 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul is writing to the Romans everything he knows about Christianity, telling them about their positional righteousness. How many of you know that as a believer and as a child of God, because you're trusting Christ for your salvation, that when he looks down upon you positionally, he sees the blood of Christ and you are perfect? Do you know that? He looks down on you and you are positionally perfect. Hey, so Christy and Zane, I saw, uh, uh, why are there such a distance between you two? You're married, right? I'll, just, I'll leave y'all alone so y'all have your space there. He's a big guy. But, uh, so you both know you're positionally perfect. But Christy, since you're out of elbow reach, is he practically perfect? That, can he, does he have a little work to do? Is God still working? Hey, and, and, and now in fairness, does God, is God still working on your beautiful wife? Just not as much as he's working on you, right? No, I'm just... But so, so there's a, pra, a positional righteousness we have. Yes, we're perfect. Yes, we have an eternal home in heaven. Yes, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. In the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, he tells us all we have in Christ. He tells us who we are and what we have, and it's not what we deserve, but we have it because he loves us. So in chapter 12, he starts out and he, makes, he turns a corner. And he says, you have this positional righteousness, but from the time you're born again to the time I bring you home, there's a process called sanctification. And it's a process where I'm going to be putting things in your life for your good and my glory. And so during that time, your practical righteousness is going to look more and more and more like your positional righteousness. In other words, Romans 8, 28. How many of y'all know that verse, right? And we know, help me out, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and Beautiful. And that doesn't mean if I go stomp on Tom's toe and kick him in the face that, oh, dude, thank you, man. Thank you for blessing me in Jesus' name. No, the next verse tells us what the good is in that. 
He says, man, he has predestined us to be like his son. So everything that comes in our life from the time we're born again to the time he brings us home is there to make us more like Christ. It's there to make our practical righteousness, how we act in this world, more and more and more like our positional righteousness, which is perfection. How many of y'all know you have not arrived to perfection yet? All right, anybody think they have? Please raise your hand so I can say you're a liar and just prove you haven't. We, we're not there yet, and we won't be that way till we lose this flesh. But that doesn't mean we don't try. That we got to understand that is why he didn't take us to heaven. When we got saved, he left us here so that we can show the world what it's like to have a big God living inside of us. And he can take us and make us. We all have a story like Karen and John. And he can take us through his grace and his mercy and his power and make us more look more and more like him. That's his purpose. So what this chapter is about is your practical righteousness needs to become more like your positional righteousness. You are perfect positionally, but practically speaking, you are not. Would you say that's true about Seth? Okay, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, and it's true of all of us for sure. So let's take a quick look on how, uh, how we do this. Our practical righteousness starts looking more like our positional righteousness by becoming a living sacrifice in renewing our mind. That's what's at the beginning of that love passage we read during the wedding. And if you do not become a living sacrifice and can, by continually renewing your mind, your practical righteousness will not look like your positional righteousness. And here's, so here's what he says in here. You've seen these verses before, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul, the Apostle Paul says, you've noticed the fourth word there, I, one, two, three, four, I beseech you, what, what do you say? Whenever you see a therefore, you have to go to the previous chapters or the previous words to see what the therefore is there for. So I told you already, the first 11 chapters are because Christ has given you all of this that you don't deserve, but he gave it to you out of love and he's made you just like him in the eyes of the Father, positionally. He said, because of all of that, he says, I beseech you. Ashley, have you ever beseeched Keone? Have you ever, yeah, what does that mean? Have you said uh, with, with uh, Gabriel, I beseech you, Gabriel. <laughs> did, you, you know, did you beseech Keone this morning? I beseech you. No, what do you say? You beg them. Have you ever begged your kids? Have you ever bribed them? <laughs> After you begged them, it didn't work? That's what, he says, I'm begging you. Man, guys, I'm begging. This is a dude who saw heaven and had to come back. Think about that. Is that not pretty awesome, man? I mean, you know, that's why he kept all through his ministry saying, dude, look, to live is, is Christ, but to die is way better. I know what it's like. He said, I want to be in heaven with God, but he must think you need me. And that's why he's got me here. So get what I'm saying to you. And in this, he's saying, I'm begging you guys because of God's mercy, because of his goodness, Brethren, by the mercies of God that I've shown you in the previous 11 chapters that really weren't broken up that way for him. He says, what? That you what? Present your what? Your bodies. That's where we live. It's in our bodies. Because in that day and age, they kind of thought, even in the Greek culture, they thought bodies are so nasty and sinful and, and all of that, that even if they were God believers, they were like, God doesn't want your body. Dude, your body's messed up. They even knew there was that the flesh was messed up. And so here Paul says, no, God wants your body. But in order to have your body, he's got to have your what? Your mind. Exactly. God wants your body. Otherwise, he'd have made you some spirit being that's going to fly around here from the time you're born again to the time he brings you home. He wants your body. And it's our only way that we can show him how much we love him in the flesh here. He says that you present your bodies a what? Yeah, what kind of sacrifices were there in the Old Testament? They were dead. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and sometimes I do believe that it would be easier to die for Christ than to live for him while we're here. If we try to do it in our own power and our own strength. But he's not asking us to do that. He's calling us not to die and be a martyr. He may call you to do that and give you the grace for it. But right now, you all are alive. Chances are you're going to be alive tomorrow. There's a chance. I don't know. I can't promise you that. But while you're alive, he wants you to be a living sacrifice. 
And just like the Old Testament sacrifice, that's what he's referring back to the priesthood and all of this, but he's giving you the New Testament picture. He says, man, you be a living sacrifice. And just like those Old Testament cows and, and bulls and goats, they were holy, meaning they were set apart for God. He said they were acceptable to God without blemish. So he's going to tell us how to become less and uh, more and more or uh, less and less full of blemishes in our life, how we're going to become more holy. And and we already know positionally we are accepted by God. Is there anything you can do and to not be his child? No, there's nothing you could ever do. In fact, you're an adopted child. And an adopted child, you could ditch your own kids and just disown them in that day, but you couldn't disown an adopted one. There's nothing you can do. Positionally, you are accepted by God, no matter what. But practically speaking, is God always happy with what you're doing? Not practically speaking, and the same with me. And why is he not happy? One, because he knows the wages of sin is death. When we sin, something dies, our hopes, our dreams, desires, his reputation. We represent him. He wants us to represent him. He wants us to live an abundant life and be able to represent him. So he says, man, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, and only he's holy. Make it look like me, acceptable to God. He said, that is your what kind of service? Yeah, not your extra, not your extraordinary, super sacrifice, Mother Teresa service, right, Jay? That's the least you can do is what he's saying, right? Present your bodies from the time you're born again to the time he brings you home. That's the least you can do. That's, that's the least. It it's only makes sense since you know in the first 11 chapters of Romans what he gave you. And what he's done for you that you didn't deserve, but he gave to you out of love. And it's yours and no one can ever take it away. So from the time you're born again to the time he brings you home, man, this is the least you can do, guys. It's the least you can do is become a living sacrifice. He says, here's how you become a living sacrifice. One, he says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So he talks about two things, one being transformed and one being conformed. The world, how many of you know the world puts pressure on you? The world puts, exerts external pressure on us to fit its mold, right? Is that not what it does? The world system. Okay, we have three enemies, according to scripture. One, we have Satan. Two, we have the world system, which we know he's in control of until Christ comes back. But God is in ultimate control, just letting him run things. Okay, so we have we have Satan. We have the world system and we have our flesh, which Paul said, man, I didn't do what I want to do. I don't do what I wanted to. Anybody have that argument with himself? How many of y'all did something this week? You're like, oh, I didn't want to do that. Anybody do that? Come on, man. Yeah. Roger, you did it probably as many times as me, didn't you? Twice as many. I know, man. I didn't want to do that. That's not how I want to be. Oh. And we have that battle between our spirit and our flesh. And I will say this, whichever one you feed, that's the one you're going to be like. And so in here, he says, don't let the world put that external pressure on you to make you look like them, to make you act like them, to make you believe what they believe. He said, man, because that's so easy. All you have to do in this world. Hey, Zane, what do you have to do in this world for the world to do that? Nothing. Nothing. Exactly. So reading the word of God, coming to church, praying and being with other believers. That's not just some external religious ritual that you can check some box and say, OK, God, I did all of this. No, it's for your good and his glory, because if you do nothing, you're going to succumb to the world's pressures that it continually puts you on. You need the spiritual nature to be able to fight all that off. You do nothing, you will be conformed to this world and that's not who you are. As a child of God, you have a different image, you have a different identity and you can't do nothing and represent that identity in this world. So he says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't let the world put that pressure and put that mold on you. Like Plato, man, how many of y'all remember playing with Plato, right? Dude, whatever that mold is, oh, dude, I'm going to make Anna Starfish, you know, and I, I sometimes think the enemy is just working. Oh, let's make him look like a, like a bug, you know, and, and, and because we're doing nothing, the enemy plays with us, and in our flesh, we're willing, and we live in this world where even believers and even churches just get shaped and conformed to things that God never had 
in mind for the church and for his believers and for his children. You've got to do more than nothing or you're just going to end up being shaped like the world, which is shaped by Satan at this point in time. So he says, man, don't be conformed to this world, but look what he says, be transformed. Transformed is a word being changed from the inside out. So you can either succumb to the external pressure by the world or you can be empowered by the spirit from the inside out. That's your choice. How many of y'all like to be empowered by the spirit from the inside out? To live contrary to the world? The world's putting pressure on you and you're like, boom, you know? Ha! I'm not going to be your little butterfly, Play-Doh butterfly. You know, it's like, boom, you're, you're what God wants you to be. And everybody's like, how is that happening? We're putting pressure on you at your work. We're putting pressure on you in society. And you look like Christ. But you can't do it unless you have that internal power from the Holy Spirit. He says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't succumb to their pressure, but be transformed. Change from the inside out. How many of y'all remember that little kid's song, Bullfrogs and Butterflies? Anybody remember that song? Oh, dude, we're going to have to relive that song. It's an old kid's song. But it was talking about bullfrogs. What's a bullfrog when it first comes into the world? Yeah, dude, y'all remember collecting little tadpoles, right? You know? You, have you ever gone tadpole gigging? No, dude, nobody goes tadpole gigging. You go bullfrog gigging, right? It, ha- it starts as a little, like, you know, a little, little blob with a tail. And how many of y'all ever collected tadpoles when you're little and watched them grow? Sam, you ever do that, man? Dude, what happens, man? You're looking at them little tadpoles, they got a tail. Next thing, what happens? Dude, they start sprouting legs. And you're like, Mama, Mama, look, man, it sprouted legs. Ah! And your mom's like, Yeah, son, that's great, you know. It sprouts legs. Your mom's saying, it's a little bit bigger. It's getting out of this house. <laughs> and uh, you got a little jar on your windowsill or whatever. At least that's how we grew up, all right? We didn't have video games, all right? So you can feel sorry for us if you want, but I'm glad we grew up in that day. But so it grows legs, man. And all of a sudden, what does it lose? It loses a tail. And before you know it, it's, dude, even you want it out of your room, all right? But it changes. Did all of a sudden, like the cootie game, somebody walk in while you're sleeping and uh, stick a leg on it? <laughs> couple legs, couple legs, cut the tail off. You know, now you got to... No, it changed from the inside out. That's what he says we're supposed to do. Same with a butterfly, dude. How many of y'all like, how many of y'all like butterflies, man? Seriously, aren't they cool? You like butterflies? How many of you, you even probably grow, grow weeds, or I mean plants, I'm sorry, that attract butterflies, right? Because they're beautiful. How many of y'all attract caterpillars? How many of y'all see a caterpillar? Oh, look at this beautiful little caterpillar. No. It goes from a caterpillar to a cocoon to a, a butterfly. That's what he talks about with transformation. He says, man, don't let the world crush you and, 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 and press in on you and make you into what they want you to be. But you've got to somehow be able to change from the inside out through the Spirit's power. And he tells us how to do that. He says, be transformed by the what? Renewing, renewing of what? Your mind. your mind. The renewing of your mind. The battlefield between God and the devil is in your mind. You ever get your mind, your, your mind set on something? You ever have a mind to do something? It goes to your heart and your body does it. You guys, it starts with your mind. That's the battlefield between God and the devil. And your mind is, is, a, is a tadpole mind that has to somehow become a bullfrog mind. It's a caterpillar mind that's got to somehow become a, a butterfly mind. And he says, by renewing your mind, what is it that we use to renew our mind? Seth, how do you renew your mind? You talk to Charlotte, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. But, but what is it that is your go-to, that is your you know, non-negotiable you read the Word of God. The Word of God is the only truth we have. And it's only by reading the Word of God, not so our head gets big and we have lots of knowledge. That's like having a 55-gallon drum of deodorant and never putting it under your arm. What's going to happen if you do that? Hey, what do you think, man? Somebody's, yeah, you're still going to stink. You've got to be able to apply it. So we're reading it so that our mind gets renewed and we think different so we act different. And now we're going from a, a tadpole to a bullfrog, from a caterpillar to a butterfly. We're going from somebody who was spiritually dead that's now alive, but our practical righteousness is now starting to match our positional righteousness. Amen. Anybody getting it? Is this right? You agree with this? Man, this is good. This is for me. <laughs> 
Because a lot of times I'm still looking like that little tadpole. I might have a couple of legs, <laughs> but dude, I'm still sporting the tail a lot of times and I show it, don't I? <laughs> so do you. <laughs> Look what he says, man. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But it's not a matter of just knowledge. It's allowing the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. He says, do this, and you're like, that's not going to work. God says, do it, and you say, I believe it's going to work. I don't know how it's going to work. Like Seth last week. Dude, it was funny because uh, you thought you were going to die on that trip there, right? Yeah, he literally thought he was going to die. He really thought Destiny and the other girl were, were really sick. Um, and and uh, a lot of different things because that was the first time you experienced it. But next time you go, or do you think you're going to You still might think you're going to die, right? <laughs> You'll at least have a help. You'll be a little more secure, won't you? And knowing that if you see a motorcycle heading straight on where JJ's at, that he's going to have the wisdom and both drivers will be able to turn in unison and nobody's going to hit each other. And if they do, you're in a truck. No. <laughs> so, so again, we renew our mind by God says do something and it seems so. What's the counter word again, Seth, we talk about? Counterintuitive. Counterintuitive. You cannot drive this way on the road and survive. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work. But dude, after it does, you're like, hmm. It becomes less counterintuitive the more you implement faith. And I'm not talking about faith in that, dude. We're in the driver's hands, man. I hope you got a good night's sleep, same like the pilot. But, but in that, as God shows us things, at first he says, go for it. And you're like, ah, okay, I'm stepping out in faith and I'm going to do it. And then after you've done that, and he says, go do it. And you're like, yeah. Yeah, or if you will, you become a bullfrog, you know? <laughs> you're no longer wiggling around like a tadpole in your spiritual walk. You're like now living in your identity, right? Zane? The identity that God has given you, which isn't a tadpole identity. So man, he says, the reason you're renewing your mind is that you can prove what is what? What is good. Because here's how we prove what's good now. We go on Facebook and see what the most people do. <laughs> We see what's popular. We take a poll. We listen to this. We listen to that. Dude, when we find out what's good and bad, it's from the word of God. Amen? That's where we find out what's good and bad. We let God speak to our We let him show it to us. And not only good, but acceptable and the perfect will of God. How many of y'all would like to have perf the perfect will of God? How many of y'all are like, no, I'm okay, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm okay in this permissible will. Ow, I need another spanking. No. Well, God didn't hit me with the fly swatter yet. Right? Man, if you are in the perfect will of God, dude, man, is that not a great place to be? But it comes from renewing our mind in all of this. I think we might have to end here and pick this up next week because it's already quarter after, but almost. It's 10 after. I've got three more minutes. Let's see what we can do here. So he says, here's what's got to happen again. He says, man, you've got to have your practical righteousness start looking like your positional righteousness so you can represent me to this world. And he says, so way you're going to do this is you're going to do this by, by making your body a living sacrifice and you're going to um, be renewing your mind. That's how you can accept what God is wanting you to do with your body at that time instead of what you want to do with your body. But we also become that living sacrifice by using our gifts for the body's good and for God's glory. How many of y'all know that in this church y'all are a bunch of weirdos? <laughs> How many of y'all know that there is no one out? Karen, is, is there anyone else in this world like you? I hope not. No, how about Seth? Is there anybody? You guys are an office spectrum, but is there anybody like Seth? No, dude, he's the only Seth I've ever met. Zane, the only one? Uh, Gary, dude, are you not a weirdo or what? I'm weird. You, you're the only Gary there is. Every one of you are uniquely created, uniquely made. And if you need any proof of that, there's Miss Carol right here. Miss Carol, are, is there anyone like you? No, yeah, but, but as a spirit-filled believer, man, dude, they can be a spirit-filled them and, and, and be like you in that way. Yeah. And by the way, we desperately miss you up on top of those stairs. Yeah. There's, well, that's anybody ever. <laughs> Do you notice nobody is taking your place up there? There's nobody who can replace you. Oh, and, and that, and, but that's true with every one of us up here. Dude, Tom, when you were playing guitar up there, and that's not your only asset, by the, by the way, but when you were playing those little like lead licks, 
in Haiti, it would have become a mosh pit. I'm telling you, bro. I just kept thinking, oh, man, it was awesome. And maybe one day, maybe one day, y'all want to mosh pit it, you guys go ahead and start doing that, and it'll all be good. But I'm just saying, man, we use our gifts for the body's good, but for God's glory. You know, Tom, what do you use to play guitar? Use your hands, right? Can I see your hands? Hold them up. Okay, which finger is not important? Which one can I break off? Which one don't you want? Yeah, how about this one? Seriously, he listen to what he says in this. He says in, in Romans 12, verse 3 through 8, real quick, he says, I say, through the grace given me, that's the gifts given to me, that's what the word grace means, to everyone who is among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think soberly. That means in the right perspective, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now, if you got to be part of a body, hey, how many of y'all would like, oh, I'd like to be the head, I'd like to be the mouth. I get to be the mouth probably most of the time. Who wants to be the nose? <laughs> Full of boogers. No, I'm just saying. Does anybody want to be the nose? But how about when you get a cold? Go ahead. You get a cold and only one nostril's working. Don't you thank God for two nostrils at that point? Who wants to be the ears? Now, let's even go further. Who wants to be the colon? But who doesn't want a colon? So what I'm saying is this. I'm saying every part of your body is important. Which part of your body don't you want? We even have this thing called appendix, and one day we're going to figure out we need it in heaven. I don't, we're going to, oh, dude, that was why we all got that from our appendix, you know? God doesn't make things on accident. He doesn't, he's, it's, everything's perfect, and just because we don't understand it doesn't mean it isn't right. And so he says the church is like this body. Man, he says, and each one of you I've made different. Be proud of who you are. You're all part of the body of who? Of Christ. It doesn't matter which part you get to be. You're all part of this body. For we have many members in one body. And that's true of all the churches we have, not only in this community, but that's what we see in Haiti. When we were in Haiti, man, at night we'd have five churches together. We don't even speak really their language. They don't speak ours, but we're worshiping with other spirit-filled believers. And we realize, dude, we are part of a body. And you can go anywhere in the world and see that's true. Man, many members, one body, but all the members don't have the same function. Aren't you grateful? Aren't you grateful that you don't have to stick this in a toilet and go? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Aren't you glad you have different, that stuff doesn't come out of your mouth that comes out of maybe your nose? All right, well, it kind of does. It's connected, but what I'm saying is, aren't you glad when you shake hands with somebody, you're not shaking feet? <laughs> there we go, man, we'll shake feet. You know? Debbie would love that. You hate dirty feet, right? So... He says, man, we've all got, the, we're part of the same body, but we, we don't have the same function. We being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. That finger's part of the hand, the hand's part of the arm, the arm's part of the body. Man, if one part is hurting, the whole part's hurting in this. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given us, let us use them. Man, how many of y'all ever had part of your body not be, not be usable? Yeah, yeah, you know, not a part of your body not, not being usable. That, that's a horrible thing because, yeah, Chris, how about you? You had your back out for a while. Yeah. Your mouth worked, right? Your ears worked. But having your back out, what part of your body did that affect? Everything. That's why we help each other see life from God's perspective. That's why if you're not healthy... And in God's, with God's love and God's wisdom, I need to help you become healthy. And you need to do the same with me. I need you. We need each other as we follow Christ because we're all part of a body. Man, let's use it. If you prophesy, he says, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Again, I'm not gonna, I don't have time to go over what each of these gifts are. I will say that, that someone with the gift of prophecy in this modern, that nobody's going to be expounding new scripture. If somebody tells you something that is not scriptural, it is straight from the pit of hell. I'm just telling you that. Now, what somebody with the gift of prophecy will be able to tell you is like, dude, if you don't stop that, man, they have the ability to kind of see what's going to happen maybe in the future if you don't, keep, if you don't straighten up. Or if you keep doing the right thing, what it's going to look like. You know, there, so again, I'm not going in. I could spend days on what all that means, but I will tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean somebody is going to come into our body and tell us something contrary to the word of God. That's what it doesn't mean. 
But dude, we need people. How many of y'all need somebody to speak into your life and tell you, you keep down that same road, this is what's going to happen? Anybody ever have people like that? That's the gift that I see with people with the gift of prophecy. He says, man, if you got that, do it. Zane, you got that. How hard is it when God says, go speak to somebody and they're not going to like hearing it? How hard is it to go do that in love? And then you do it day after day and God says, go do it again. Have you ever been like, God, come on, let me tell him something good. Christy's over there. God, let him tell somebody something good. Everybody hates our family because of him. No, I'm just like... It's a gift. You've got to use it. If God tells you to speak up, speak up. He goes on and says, oh, sorry, to minister or serve. Then man, you, he said, let us use it in our ministering. Okay? That's serving. Somebody who likes to serve. Where's my wife at? Oh, right back over here. She hates when I recognize her and when I bring it up. But do you know what my wife, she loves being behind the scenes and nobody knowing who she is or what she's doing because her gift is serving. She loves to serve, and most people like to serve, like to do it behind the scenes. How many of y'all raise your hand and say, I'm a behind-the-scenes server? You will not even do that, will you? <laughs> Tom's a server. I'll quit embarrassing all my servers because they hate it when they're recognized in that. But you've got to have people who are willing to serve. Not everybody's supposed to be up front. And if the server's up front, look at me, look at me. Dude, it's out of balance. Uh, look at T.U. Teaches in teaching. Man, that's somebody who can take something incredibly complicated and make it very simple. Anybody ever need that to happen in your life? Where there's something biblically super complicated and you need somebody to make that simple in your life. That's somebody with that gift. And if they don't do it, who's going to do it? He who exhorts in exhortation. That's somebody who's encouraging you to do the right thing that God wants you to do or stop doing. They're the encouragers. They're the ones that give you practical ways to get this done. Can you imagine if all you do is learn but you never do? You get to be a fat sheep. If all you do is eat and never exercise, you get fat. But what if all you do is exercise and you never eat? You burn out, and you end up doing some of the wrong things. So it takes all, everybody in this body. And in fact, I'm not saying Zane is only prophecy, or, you know, Seth is only teaching, or I'm only exhorting. You know what I look at this as? It's almost like a palette. You ever see an artist? Anybody here is an artist? Anybody paint? Nobody? Okay, well, you guys, anybody ever see an artist? <laughs> you, you know what a palette is, right, where they have all the colors right there? These colors are all the gifts right there. And there may be a situation for Tom where God says, ooh, I'm going to put a little serving with a little bit of giving. And he makes a new color. He goes to Zane and says, dude, I'm going to do something a little different. We're going to invent a new color. I'm going to do a little bit of prophecy and a little bit of mercy. <laughs> and Zane's like, I don't like that color. <laughs> but he, he takes it and he blends colors. He blends these gifts. But we do have our default modes of what we're good at and where we're at. So he who exhorts, do exhort if that's what he's called you to do. If in a particular situation he says, give, give liberally, you can't outgive God. How many of y'all know you can't outgive God? But how many of you know not everybody's a giver? There's people who are servers. They would, they, they're, they're called to serve, maybe not to give. There's people who are called to give who don't maybe serve because they're too busy trying to make something to give. And God gives people who are givers the ability to do that. And we have to understand they're all valuable parts of the body. They're all very different. As different as your big toe is from your little toe. But which one you want to lose? Neither of them. He, man, look what he goes on to say. He says, he who leads. How many of you all know you are not a leader? If I called you to lead something right now, I'd be like, oh, no. <laughs> How many of you all know your followers? Anybody know your follower? Okay. All right. Those are the wrong people to even ask to raise their hand. They're like, they're waiting for somebody to lead and putting their arm up, right? Okay, I am too. And so he says, man, if you're a leader, if you are a leader, you have no choice in the fact that you're a leader. You have to lead. That's what God's called you to do. It's a gift, but you got, you're accountable where you lead people. He says, man, he said, lead with all diligence if that's what you're called to do. He who shows mercy, do it with cheerfulness. And there are some times in my life I am not a mercy person. Dude, if I'm on a bus full of kids, high school kids, and we're, we're there and they get sick and they start throwing up, dude, I'm off the bus. Go find somebody with mercy. <laughs> I'm not the guy that's going to go, oh, I hope you feel better. I'm like, don't get that on me. <laughs> but there might be a time where from the palate of God's gifts, he says, oh, hey, Pastor Eddie, I'm going to throw the nastiest situation in your life, and I'm going to call on you to be merciful. And people are going to say, wow, where'd that come from? I'll say, it came from God because it didn't come from me. 
And that's what he wants to do. He's got a palette. And we have our default modes, but he said, man, whatever gifts I'm calling on you to use, I'm equipping you to use those. And you need to use those. Don't sit on them. Use them for, for God's good. Use them for the body's good and for God's glory. He said, you've got to use those gifts, man. So this is what it's going to look like. And I'm not going to elaborate. You kind of saw these. I just want to read through it. And uh, now it's quarter. It's 14 after. Is my watch going really slow or am I talking fast? All right. He said, this is what it's going to look like. First, he says, man, for your practical righteousness to start looking like your positional righteousness. He said, you're going to have to renew your mind so that you can become a living sacrifice. He said, you're also going to have to step out and use the gifts he's given you. Knowing that it may not be your default mode. Knowing that he's going to make new colors from your palette. De Debbie, did, you have to did God make some new colors on that trip for you? Yeah. Did he take you out of your default mode? How about you, Santa? Where are you at, Santa? Did he, did he do things through you? You're like, oh. <laughs> Seth told me a couple times he preached and taught, taught things and did things. He's like, he was, it was an outer body experience. He made some new colors. And is it cool when he makes new colors in your life? Is it cool when he does these things? Debbie, are you like, I don't ever want to do that again? No. Dude, he makes a new color. I can't wait. Dude, that color looks good on me. <laughs> Because that's the color God picked out for you when he made those new colors. So we got to do that. But last but not least, he says, man, this is what it's going to look like. And this is the passage that was read during their recommitment of their vows. It's, it's equivalent to the Corinthian passage on love. And I'm not even, I don't even have all of it on PowerPoint. You go home and read all of it. But I want you to see again what was read. It's Romans 12, verse 9 through 16. And it goes even a few verses farther than that. But at the very beginning, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Again, this love, is, there's, there's four Greek words, so to speak, for love. One is the word eros. We get the word erotic from it, and it's a me love. It's not even in the Bible because it's a me love. And again, if you satisfy me, then I love you. I love it. I love the fact you're satisfying me. And that's an eros love. That's not a Christian love. It doesn't take a big God living inside you to have Eros love, and that's why it's not even in the Bible. Another love that's even going to be in this list is, the, is a phileo love, a brotherly love. That's where we are so busy serving each other. And by the way, um, how many of y'all cringe when you heard the word submit when Seth was reading that? Just be honest. How many of y'all heard, Leslie? Yeah, that's because we've been so misled on what that word submit means. In fact, we're supposed to submit to each other always. And if I tell you what it means, you're going to see what an awesome thing that is. That word submit is a military term that means to line up underneath somebody and do everything in your power to make them a success. Who has been in the military? Mike, you've been in the military, right? All right, the guy that was in, in charge of you, was he always smarter than you? No. <laughs> Anybody in the military agree the guy in charge of you is not smarter than you? Yeah. Was he more skilled than you? No, in fact, you're like, no, dude, we need to do it this way. And he's like, nope, I'll command you to do it this way. And you're like, we're all going to die. <laughs> but, Christy, were they always prettier than you? No. No, they weren't. I'm just telling you, they weren't. And, and, and the point is, is that it's not that they're better, they're worse, they're talented. They're, the bottom line is God's got to have somebody in charge and somebody not. And who's in charge is the one who's held accountable. The one who's underneath the one who's in charge, what are they held accountable to? how they did everything in their power to make that person a success. So here's what he says, wives, you know, here's your strengths, here's your weaknesses, strengths and weaknesses, and here's a husband and a wife, and if both of you were the same, one of you is not necessary. Here's what God wants to create for your family, but it takes a spirit-filled believer to be able to accomplish this. He wants to do the same thing in, in your ministry down in Dominican Republic. One of my prayers always is, God, please surround me with people who are way better than me at what I'm not good at. And he broke my heart, just crushed me on my Haiti trip and reminded me that my whole ministerial career, he has surrounded me with great people. Not just with great people who are not afraid to do what he's asked them to do. And guess what? Y'all are the next batch. <laughs> Y'all are great people. Otherwise, you'd be, you'd already left. <laughs> it's like something's made you stick around. It's kind of like squashing that cockroach. You just got to maybe stick around and look, see what's under there. I don't know. But I'm just saying, he has surrounded me by great people. And, and so in this, man, that word submission is somebody's got to be in charge. And we all do what we can do to make that person a success. 
Now, if they're leading us to do something unscriptural, obviously, that is not God's authority over you. You need to get out from under that as quick as you can. But if we can imagine what it would be like if we submitted to each other, if submission is making somebody a success, and what is submitting to each other? My whole purpose in life is to make you a success. And your whole purpose in life is to make me one. And your whole purpose is to make me a success, and my whole purpose is to make you a Can you imagine if you lived that way? Because in the world, who's everybody trying to make a success? So you think we would shine as a light if maybe that's how we acted? If we tried to make everyone a success? If we started even among ourselves living that way? So he says love without hypocrisy. Agape love is a love that's all about you has nothing to do with me. It's, it can only come from God. So he says, man, your, your love, it's about that other person. Love without hypocrisy. Don't love with ulterior motives of what you're going to get in the background from it, what you're hoping to get. Don't love. That's, that's not love. That's manipulation. But we call it love. Well, I'm going to do this for them because I think I can train them. How many of y'all tried to train your husbands and realize it just, well, no, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> We let you, no, I'm just not even going to go there today. No, but it's manipulation, man. But isn't it awesome when somebody just serves you out of pure love and you do the same? 